My name is Dave Valoni. I'm the senior associate pastor here at River Oak, and uh, it's my honor to be able to preach to you today. I was listening to that video, uh, and, and the beginning of the video kind of describes the way I think sometimes some of us feel, right? Uh, there's some things we just don't understand, some things we can't come to grips with. Uh, sometimes we look around this world and just say, why God, why me? Why this situation? Why this tribulation? God, it seems like you're not even present. God, if you can, why don't you? What's going on, Lord? Ever feel like that? Ever had, had those kind of thoughts, those kind of doubts, those kind of, that kind of anxiety come through your heart and your life? I mean, sometimes we're in the desert. Sometimes it's a storm that's all around us. But I think that that's some reality for all of us. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Luke and look at uh, this John the Baptist and how he deals with some of his doubts. Before I get there, I, I, wanted, I don't get up an opportunity to do this very often. I just wanted to uh, say a few things to you guys. I, a lot of you know uh, that my mom passed away about a month ago. And so our family's kind of been through it. I know there's many of you that have lost loved ones recently too. Many of you have been through all kinds of different storms in your life. But I just wanted to say thank you. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you. There's so many of you who individually have been a great encouragement to us. There's so many of you who've sent cards and notes. And I was thinking about our life group and all that our life group, some of them sitting over here, all that our life group's done to come alongside us and support us. Uh, uh, the Vessels of Hope group. I was with the senior adults the day before mom died and then actually right after her funeral as well. And those guys have been a great encouragement. So it's great to be part of a church where we can connect and people can reach out to us and love us so well. And so I, I just want to say thank you. And, you know, to some degree, that's a part of how we walk through these things. That's a part of how we deal with these doubts and these concerns and, and all this stuff that happens in our lives. We, we, we actually connect. We actually have people that we rely on and, and love us and can come alongside us and help us in these times where we don't understand. Because I think there's something that we all have in common. And that's that we all go through these seasons. These seasons where we're just kind of wondering, God, you know, where are you at? Or, and we ask him for something and he just kind of seems absent in it, right? I mean, you're like, Lord, I, I've been praying. I've been asking, where, where are you at? You're not paying attention, Lord. Are you just late? I mean, what's going on? And we, and we have those, those things happen in our lives. And sometimes we see great answers to prayer. Sometimes we see great joy. Uh, just Sometimes we can come to church and see a video like that and get pumped up and, and excited and say, okay, Lord, I'm with you. I trust you. I got it. And then we're all alone. And we're kind of struggling through, Lord, what? I don't, man, I lost my job and it doesn't make any sense. I'm, I've been faithful to you, Lord. Where, where are you at? Man, my family's falling apart. Where, where are you at? Sickness, health, all those kind of things can happen. And my prayer today is that by looking at this story of John the Baptist, his example, we can learn a little bit about how to deal with doubt, how to walk through these times of doubt in our lives. And you know, the answer, the main idea really is to do what John did, and that's run to Jesus. Now, you'll see it, how it works itself out in the story today. But the answer, the main idea today is when in doubt, run to Jesus. When in doubt, Run to Jesus, right? What's that mean? Stare at Jesus, right? Spend time in his word. Understand who he is and what he's done. Reflect on what he's done for you in your life and rescuing you. Reflect on what he's doing and who he is. When in doubt, run to him. 
But we're going to read from Luke chapter 7 today. If you'd stand with me, we're going to start with Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verse 18. Luke chapter 7, verse 18, and we'll read from 18 down to about verse 23. Luke chapter 7, 18 through 23. It says this. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? I do need to point out to you that John's in jail at this point. We know that from Matthew chapter 11. Okay, it doesn't say that here in Luke chapter 7, but John's in jail. We'll talk a little bit about how he gets there and how that all works itself out in a minute. But that's where he's at. So keep that in mind when he calls these disciples to himself and says, hey, I got a question. I need you to go send to Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? So they go, right? In verse 20, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured many of their infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to the blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard that the blind see, that the lame walk, that lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray this morning as we look at these words, God, that you will work them through in our hearts. God, that you will be present, that your Holy Spirit will will have his way with us. God, that we will see that even in the times of doubt, even when we look around and nothing makes sense, we can trust you. And God, if there's someone here today who's never experienced the peace that you can give by trusting in you as their Lord and Savior, God, as they hear these words about how we should respond as believers, that they'll also be, be convinced of the fact that they need you in their life. And that following you is the only true course toward hope in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, be with us now. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me be seated. So as I'm looking through this passage, uh, just kind of the plan that we're going to walk through is we're going to look first at John's uh, circumstances, because we've got to have an understanding of that to see how that all plays out in the back end, right? Then we'll look at John's concerns, and then we'll flip it over to see how Jesus confirms himself, his confirmation of who he is to John, and then his comfort and his compassion that he shows toward John. We'll start here in verse Uh, it's really verse 18, but the verse that'll come up when we deal with circumstances from Matthew, because I want to point out again that John's in prison at this point in time, right? When John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent for two of his disciples. Now, you guys remember who John the Baptist is, right? Now, we, we, Pastor Heath has been preaching. We've actually been on John the Baptist for three separate sermons since December. Back in Christmas time, you heard about John the Baptist because in the birth of Christ, we also know, hear about and learn about the birth of John the Baptist. Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mother. Right? And so from the very beginning, John the Baptist has been involved in this story. And if you remember right, um, Elizabeth and Zacharias, it says in the Bible, were well advanced in years. That means when she birthed John the Baptist, she was like 106. Now, I, I don't know how old she was, right? But the truth of the matter is she was well advanced in years to the point where they, had, they did not expect that she could even have a baby. Okay, so this is, it says that she was barren, she's well advanced in years, and Zacharias, his father, remember, is a priest. 
And I, I love uh, the Benedictus there. Zacharias' words, maybe the best sermon that he's ever preached in his whole life, right? It's a prophecy that, that he shares after John is born. He talks about the coming Messiah, that salvation's on its way, that redemption is coming. And then I just want you to picture this. He's holding John the Baptist. And then he, he says these words from Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and 77. Luke 1, Zacharias says, and you, child, talking to his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. You see, we can be sure that John knew the teaching about the, teachings about the Messiah because he had a very specific calling that his father, Zacharias, shared, I mean, is praying over him right there from the very beginning. His priestly father says, hey, this is what's coming. This is how this is going to be. I, it's probably like any other dad, right? I'm sure none of you dads have ever told your kids about how great you were in football when you're in high school, right? The fish was this big that I caught back in the day, right? None of you dads have ever done that. I could see Zachariah saying, hey, did I ever tell you about that sermon, that prophecy that God gave me that one time? Yes, dad. Said it over and over and over again. I could just see that. So you have to remember that he probably had that in mind. And John the Baptist grows up to be a pretty interesting person, right? He ends up homeless in the desert, eating bugs and, and wild honey. My wife likes to say that's because his parents um, were a little bit older when they had him, probably have passed away by the time he's 30 years old. And so he just didn't know how to live, right? He didn't know what to eat. He didn't know what to wear. Um, I don't think that's true because I think that was God's calling and his prophecy about him in his life. But that's who he was, interesting guy, right? He'd sworn off all kinds of food. He was a zealot for God. He wouldn't have been real excited about the pig picking that's going on outside today, right? Um, hey, by the way, there's a pig picking uh, today. And you guys may say, why are we doing that? I mean, thank the, thank the Lord for the new covenant because um, we can go out there and enjoy um, some barbecue and some chicken. Why are we doing that? Because our rock builders team, it's all of the proceeds of that go for our rock builders team, which is going up to Connecticut this summer to, to help build a church up there in Connecticut. So that's the purpose of it, to help support that team. Um, by the way, they're selling it by the pound. So and, in lobby A on the way out, you can get a pounder. They're selling it by the pound up under the tents. If you just want a meal with baked beans and coleslaw, I'm trying to, I know it's eight in the morning, but I'm trying to work on you. All right. I'm going to go out here to lobby B, but I don't think John would have been real excited about that because he'd sworn off normal food. He'd sworn off those kind of things. He lived that kind of life. Then of course at Jesus baptism, right? John is preaching repentance and faith. And at Jesus baptism, what happens? The heavens open, the dove descends, and John hears the audible voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Pretty clear who Jesus was. The audible voice of God said, this is my beloved son. In other words, this is the Messiah. John heard those words. Remember all that in just a minute. But here's what happens. John ends up in jail. Why? Because, man, this guy, was, this guy was pretty bold. He preached repentance and faith no matter where he went. And he called out political leaders. Right? He called out political leaders because he said, hey, can't, hey, if you're a Jewish king, if you're a Herod, if you're a Hellenistic Jew, then you ought to be living right. You ought to repent because without character, you can't lead us. Without character, you're no example. Hey, repent, have faith. 
That's what he called out his Jewish leaders. And the, the leader that he really called out was a guy named Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. I've got a picture of Herod the Great, all right? That's Herod the Great. Herod the Great's the guy that killed all the babies, um, the slaughter of the innocents at the time of the birth of Christ, right? He's the, the provincial king over all of Judea. Uh, Herod the Great's history is very sordid because, I mean, he did a lot of great things. Our, our team over in Israel is going to go visit Masada, the great fortress. He built that. He built the second temple. He did all these great things, but he also lived a very treacherous life. Had six wives, killed at least one of them, uh, just to, you know, get rid of her and move on to the next one. Uh, he had eight sons, all from different, well, a mix of the different spouses. I don't understand why, but he, they call all their kids the same name. So he's got, there's two Philips. There's Philip the Tetrarch, and there's another guy named Philip. There's, it, 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 it's really the stuff that reality TV shows are made out of. That was the Herodian Empire. I mean, I was trying to follow it all through uh, this week. I was like, are you kidding me? That's the kind of mess uh, that, that characterized Herod the Great. Well, his son, Herod Antipas, that's the next slide. Herod Antipas is the one who now is the ruler or the tetrarch of the region uh, where John the Baptist is doing his ministry. Actually, Herod's the great kingdom, the Romans divided up into four. Three of his sons and one of his daughters end up with those various regions. But the region of Galilee is, is controlled by this guy named Herod Antipas. He's got a wife. His wife is the daughter of the king of Arabia. Um, and he's got a half-brother. That's the next slide. His half-brother's name is Philip. Now, this is not Philip the Tetrarch. This, guy, this Philip doesn't have any land. At one point, he actually was one of the first successors to Herod the Great, but I don't know, he does something wrong, gets disinherited, and you end up with, with this guy, Philip, um, being a really rich dude down in Jerusalem. And Philip has a wife, and her name is Herodias. Now, Herodias, we find out through, you know, extra biblical historical sources, Josephus, others, we hear a lot. That's the next slide. We can hear a lot about this woman, Herodias. And she was kind of always after power. Probably why she went after Philip, because he was kind of first in line, and then he kind of falls off. And we don't know. But anyway, Philip is married to Herodias. And one day, Herod Antipas is down in Jerusalem, and he's interacting with Philip and his wife Herodias, and there's a thing that starts between Herodias and Antipas, and it's not a healthy thing. They just decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to kind of leave our spouses, and we're going to get together, right? So after this adulterous affair, where, you can put up the next slide, where you've really got Herodias um, in an adulterous relation with Antipas, and Philip um, still married to Herodias, then Herodias leaves Philip. So let's go to the last slide there. And she's now married to Antipas. She's really the downfall of, of Antipas in many ways. Um, you know, he repudiates his wife, who's the king of Arabia's daughter, and he ends up at war with the king of Arabia over that. He ends up eventually being banished by Rome. But in the meantime, he's there, and John the Baptist calls him out specifically. John the Baptist says, we find this in Mark chapter 6, he says, basically, hey, Antipas, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's not lawful for you. Come on, you got to be a better example than that. It's not okay. You need to repent and turn or, you know, turn or burn kind of idea. That's kind of how John, John the Baptist was. Herodias doesn't like this at all. In fact, she wants John the Baptist dead. Herod, it says in Mark chapter 6, actually, it's interesting, it says that he knew that John the Baptist was a just and holy man, and he kind of heard him gladly. He's also afraid of the Jews. He doesn't want to lose control and power, right? And so he just throws John in jail to shut him up, but he doesn't kill him right away. And that's where we find John. 
in jail. He's been carrying out the mission that God's called him to carry out. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like, hey, this isn't as we planned. I thought the Messiah was going to come in and all this was going to end. I was preparing the way for the Lord. That was my job. And it was. And he preached repentance and forgiveness. And, and, and he did that. But I can just see him in jail in these moments, just going, God, I, I've been faithful. What, what's going on here? And it brings him to be a bit concerned about what he's given his life to. So it says that he calls a couple of disciples to him. So John's concerns, we see there in Luke chapter 7, verse 19, and calling to his disciples, he, he sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Listen, I know my past. I know what I've done. I know what I've been called to, but are you really the one? Is it worth me sitting here in jail is what I think may be going on potentially in his heart at that moment. You know, there's some things in our lives that can bring us to the point of doubt. Doubt creeps in, in in a lot of ways. One is personal tragedy, right? For John the Baptist, that's he's in jail right now. For us, it might be sickness, might be loss of a job, might be family brokenness. It could be anything. Personal tragedy can bring us to that point. And a lot of us are asking that question, God, if you can, why don't you? If you can, why don't you intervene? Why don't you come in here? And that can bring us to the point where we doubt the essence of, of, of who God is and, and that he's really, really, is he really good? What's going on? Another thing that can, of course, um, bring us to this point is having an incomplete picture of the situation, the circumstances. And I think John, while he knew the prophecies of Isaiah, while he knew that, about the Messiah, there was a little bit of, of mystery still from the Old Testament to the New as to how this was going to play itself out. He didn't have a complete understanding, and that can happen to us too. In our faith, we, we don't read God's word to fully understand the character of God. We don't understand his complete revelation. And, and so we have kind of an incomplete picture and we start to doubt. Start to say, hey, hey Lord, I, I thought I was supposed, this was all supposed to go good when I followed you. We don't have a full understanding of scripture. So what do we do? We turn to the word. We turn to his, his teaching, right? We, we know the word, we trust the word. Another thing I think that can bring us to that point and may have happened in the, in the heart of John to a degree is kind of unmet or wrong expectations. Now remember, John is constantly preaching, repent because the Messiah is coming. And it's almost, his preaching is almost one of judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And we know that judgment ultimately will come to this earth at the second coming of Christ, but he, he's, judgment's coming. And and. And you better turn or, or you're going to, he's trying to preach to people so they won't, they won't burn up so that, the, so that they'll be okay. He's preparing the way for the Lord. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and what happens? Forgiveness, healing. He's hanging out with publicans. Dead are raised. He's doing all this for unbelievers. You know, people, he's reaching out and, and touching those that, that haven't completely gotten there yet. And he's, and he's with them and he's, and he's rejoicing. And, and I, I could just see John saying, this isn't the picture. This isn't the expectation that I had. I don't quite understand. And now I'm stuck here in jail. Jesus, what, what are you doing? I mean, this can happen to us, wrong expectations, right? We, we hear a lot these days about, man, just follow Christ and it will all be better. Follow Jesus and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Wrong expectations. That's not scriptural, right? <laughs> we live for, for more, but that living for more is living for the kingdom. It's living for Jesus Christ. It's not for 
monetary gain because he never promises any of that to us. We can have the wrong expectations. So all of a sudden, doubts come in. Things start to creep in. God, I thought it was supposed to be all right when all this happened. But here's the encouraging part. When we struggle to understand how our situation makes any sense in this world, especially since we follow Christ, and we find ourselves in a dark moment, I want you to remember that John the Baptist did too. I want you to Look at these words that Jesus wrote about John the Baptist. This is actually after John's disciples go back to report to him in jail. Jesus does something that I think is really cool. Jesus affirms John the Baptist to the crowd. He talks about how great John the Baptist is. He, he, he said, yeah, I, I, I know you heard the questions, but man, this is my guy. You know, this, is the, the one who, this is the one who prepared the way for me. This is the one who's been faithful and true. And he kind of affirms him to the, to the people that are there. But this is what he says about him in Luke, a little bit further down in Luke 7. Luke 7 verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Of those born of women, there's never been a greater guy. So think about it. This is a man who, that's what Jesus says about him. He's heard the audible voice of God. He was a miracle baby. His mom was 137 when she had him. I don't know how old she was. She was was well stricken in years. He's seen the power of God in his life. He's seen God sustain him in the wilderness when he's out there living on his own. He actually has a very specific calling on his life and he's been taught all these truths and he has a season of doubt. Don't you think maybe we will too? And I think we can be encouraged in that if we remember this point. The real question is, when those doubts come in, when, the, when that, that, those struggle come in and you're trying to make sense of everything, Who do you turn to? Does your doubt turn you to Jesus or does it turn you away from Jesus? Right? John sends his disciples to the only one who can answer the question. The only one who can actually uh, clear up his doubts, give him some clarity, and that's Jesus. Said, hey, hey, go ask Jesus if he's really the one or do we wait for another? He turns to Jesus. And they go there, and it says in chapter 7, verse 20, and they ask the question, are you coming or do we wait for another? And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't answer them right away. What's he do? I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, oh, you of little faith. That's a phrase you see Jesus saying a lot, right? He tells his own disciples, oh, you of little faith. When are you ever going to get, whenever you're going to figure it out? He tells the religious leaders, oh, you of little faith. You're living right here. You're not seeing it. He tells a lot of people, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't do that here. It's interesting. A lot of people come to him and, and want miracles performed, and sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't, but that's what he does here, right? He, he doesn't say, uh, are you kidding me? Come on, man, cuz. You know, he's his cousin. You know, come on, cuz. You, you, know, you don't you remember, you know, Aunt Elizabeth had you when she was 146. You know, I, I, come on, you're a miracle baby. He doesn't do that. Didn't do that. Says that he performs miracles. Look what it says there in um, chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus confirms who he is by showing the disciples that the Messiah has come. Says there in verse 21, and at that very hour. So they asked the question, and immediately what's he do? He cured many of their infirmities, their afflictions, and their evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. I want you to see this prophecy. What, why does this matter? Because there's specific There's specific fulfillments of prophecy. Look at Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Remember, these are some of the teachings that John would have grown up on. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Specific fulfillment of prophecy. Go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. That's what he says in Luke 7, to the disciples. Jesus actually kind of adds to the list a little bit. Look at what it says in 7, Jesus answered them and said, go and tell John the things that you've seen and heard, that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised. They hadn't seen the dead raised, but remember what Pastor Heath preached last week? What had just happened? The widow's son at Nain had been raised from the dead, resurrected. The dead had been raised. And the poor have had the gospel preached to them. I think well, that's a strange one to put in there. Why would he add that to the list? I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1 says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The me there is the Messiah. Okay, that, that would be Jesus Christ. The, the spirit of this is a messianic prophecy. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So he's saying without answering directly, yes, I'm the one. And there will be no other. Yes, look, the signs of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come are here. And the king is also here. One of the things I want you to notice about Jesus's confirmation of who he was is Jesus does not call out, or he's not offended, I should say, by John the Baptist's questions. He's not offended by them. John the Baptist is coming to the right source with the right heart, trying to figure out the truth. Jesus isn't offended by it. And he gives him that, that evidence, which is going to help solidify his faith. And we can do the same thing if we run to Christ in those moments. Then he'll, he'll lead us in the right direction and guide us in our steps. Another thing I want you to notice here is that John is, is the example of John. John doubts his doubts. He knows the truth. He knows who God is. He's seen God work. He's experienced him. He remembers what God's done in his life and he doubts his doubts. He's like, man, I better send... I, I gotta, he doesn't sit in jail just kind of wallowing in it and let the, the, his situation, his doubts derail his faith. He didn't do that. He doesn't let it derail him. He, he goes, man, I'm going to go in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. Hey, guys, go ask Jesus if he's really the one, right? He asks Jesus for clarity. He runs to Jesus for clarity. He stares at Jesus. He remembers the works of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? The thing that can also give us faith and us to solidify our faith in times of doubt, we see the works of God. It's not the answer. You know, I can stand up here, Pastor, you can stand up here every Sunday morning and say, trust the Lord. He's good. Sometimes we got to see it. We got to feel it. We got to understand it. We got to know it. How do we do that? We rehearse the works of God. We read it in the Bible. We understand what he's done and what he is doing, right? We don't, we don't focus on what he hasn't done so that we can see what he is doing and what he has done. So that's what happens here. How do we do that? I mean, that's sometimes harder, easier said than done, right? I, one thing that's always helped me for many years is the verses Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You guys know those verses. They're, they're pretty, pretty familiar. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Well, a couple of years ago, I heard these verses taught, and the pastor who was teaching them said, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a type A. I have a hard time uh, staying in my lane when it comes to this stuff, you know, that I'm supposed to trust and let the Lord direct my paths. And so I drew a little line in my Bible right between the first three phrases and the last phrase, right? So after in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I drew a little line and I, I just think of it as a wall. 
And I got to stay on my side of the wall. I got to stay on my side of this thing. And, and, and every time I'm feeling anxious or I'm in doubt or whatever, usually it's because I'm trying to direct my own steps. I'm trying to figure it out. And when that happens, we got to get ourselves back on the other side of the wall. Well, I was sharing that illustration actually before Ben Hilton preached, uh, taught this, taught this uh, deal last weekend to the youth. And he started talking about, I think youth would respond better to staying in their lane. Right? And I thought, man, Ben, I, I think you're onto something there. I kind of like that. Some of you guys are thinking, oh no, Dave's going to start talking about the parking lot and staying in your lane. You should stay in your lane in the parking lot, especially when we're exiting out here. I mean, you know, honestly, it's, it causes a lot of confusion and, a lot, and it can cause some accidents. And so, hey, I, I, we love our parking guys. Let's give our parking guys a big round of applause, right? I mean, Believe me, it is not an easy thing out there. It is not an easy thing that they do. And they do the very best they can. And they get us in and out of here. And we're so thankful for them. But I think about it as lanes. If this is God's lane over here, directing our paths, directing our steps, walking us through, and this is our lane over here, trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him. The problem in our life, the reason that doubt comes and it sticks and it starts to grip us and it starts to overcome us is because we're over here. We're trying, to, we're trying to direct our steps. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to do it our own. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to think. I'm not saying that God doesn't, you know, we have to use discretion and wisdom. God, God gives us all that. But in terms of our heart, we've got to remember who he is and trust him for what he's done. He rescued us from sin. Nothing else could be more important. He's brought us to this point in our lives. Nothing else could be more important. Trust him with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. Stay in your lane and let God take care of the rest. Say, well, how do I do that? That's hard. Well, number one, stay in his word, right? This is how we remember what he's done. This is how we learn what he's done. This is how we learn the character of God. If we say, man, you know, I'm just going to go get my dose of uh, funny stories and, and a little bit of teaching every Sunday, then it's probably not enough to help us through these moments of doubt. We've got to spend time in his word. Be involved in a, in a life group and, and connect with other believers. In times when we are really going through it, we need to be involved with other people that can lift us up and remind us of what God's done and helped us through in our lives, right? Pray to him. Take our concerns to him. That's how we trust. That's how we stay engaged in with who he is. And I love this, man. Jesus does one more thing here. Jesus not only confirms who he is, but look at chapter seven, verse 23. He takes it one step further. In verse 23, he says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In, in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. I love that. Hey, John, there's a blessing for you if you don't turn away. It's almost a beatitude here that he, that he gives. Those who are not offended in me, those who do not turn away from me, there's a great blessing for you, no matter what happens in your life. And it's hard, because think about John the Baptist. You're probably thinking, hey, cuz, it's awesome that you're the Messiah. I'm kind of waiting around here in prison. I didn't read all of Isaiah 61.1 to you. I want to put up the, the rest of Isaiah 61.1. Here's another promise. It's interesting that Jesus leaves it out in his list. Look at the end of the verse there. One of the other messianic prophecies says, he's coming to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. It's interesting. Isaiah chapter 42 uses similar language where it says prisoners will be set free and men in dungeons will be let loose. Now, I understand that this is speaking more in a, a spiritual sense of the freedom that is going to come through the Messiah. 
But these are the words that John would have learned and heard. I can just see his disciples coming back to him and saying, hey, uh, the blind are now seeing. The deaf now hear. Jesus even raised somebody from the dead and he's preaching to the poor. And John the Baptist is like, anything else? Anything else? Uh, that's awesome. Anything else? No, no, Jesus. We, t- you know, we, we've, we recorded it on our iPhone. You know, I mean, no, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we didn't have iPhone. No, that's it. That's what you get. And guys, the hits keep on coming, like they say in baseball. Because those of you that know the end of the story with John, that old Herodias, she's still got it out for John the Baptist. And there's a birthday party for Herod Antipas. It's actually maybe an anniversary. They say a birthday party, but historians have told us maybe an anniversary of when he took power. But they're having a party, drunken debauchery. And old Herodias sends her 12 to 14-year-old daughter Salome on in there. Actually, it's interesting because it's Philip's daughter. It's not Antipas's daughter. So she's dancing for her stepdad. The stepdad's so pleased, and I don't think in a good way, with the dancing. He says, you can have anything you want. She goes to mom. Mom says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That night it's done. So very soon after being confirmed that Jesus is the Messiah, we find John the Baptist gone. Where's the comfort in that? It's a difficult end of the story, isn't it? Not in the ending we do expect for a faithful man of God. You see the same thing throughout the book of Hebrews chapter 11 when, when it talks about many heroes of the faith. They met their end in a way that we wouldn't consider was all that good. And I think John the Baptist was more obedient than most of us. I mean, if God came to me and said, hey, Dave, um, I want you to go live homeless in the desert. I can imagine that conversation at home, right, please, after 28 years of marriage. Hey, sweetie, uh, we're moving to the desert. Coming with, you know? Here's the truth. She'd probably go before me. She'd be like, come on, come on. She'd probably drag me there because she's obedient. And what to, but, but John the Baptist was obedient in everything that God had asked him to do. But this was God's path for John the Baptist. And he understood it. You know, it's an important conclusion to the story. I, I could have just stopped, honestly, and done, here's John doubting. Here's Jesus coming in and coming alongside. But we need to understand the end. Because it doesn't always work out the way that we think it ought to work out in God's plan and his, and his timing. There's a lot of times in our lives we're going to be asking why. But the good news is we know who Jesus is. We know who God is. And we know that he's good. And we've seen his works in the past. And even though we have no idea how we'll get through it in the future, we know that he's got grace to sustain us through the circumstances that, we, that we're in. You see, John may not have understood everything at that moment, but I think he understood who Christ was. I love the fact that John's disciples, after he was dead, go to Jesus. They run to Jesus, and they tell Jesus what's happened. Why, why not dis- dis- disband? Why not go home? Because Jesus was John the Baptist's Messiah. And they could see it. And, he, and they knew who he was. And Jesus may not have understood everything before he was murdered, but he understood enough to trust Jesus in it. You see, do, do we trust in the person or do we trust in the outcomes? You see, honestly, John the Baptist trusted more in the person of Christ than he did in the outcomes because he knew who Jesus was. And he also understood the principle that, 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 presence, that God's presence in our lives is much better than deliverance. You say, I don't know about that. He just knew I may be, being present with God is better than being, being delivered. 
That, that presence with God might be an eternity. But he understood that and it comforted him and, and he's able to trust God to the end. And we've got to get, understand that. Let's trust in the person of Christ, not in the outcomes. Leaving the outcomes to the Lord. Kind of staying in our lane. Trusting him in it. Spending time in his word. Understanding who he is. Spending time with other believers. You know, living out this Christian faith in true worship and what God has for us. That's what we need to do. That's where we need to be. And remember that God has the big picture in mind. One of the things that I really would like for you guys to understand is that no matter what, God knows what you're going through. He does. He understands it. And he's working it out for your eventual joy, whether that's here or in eternity, and he's working it out for his glory. When in doubt, let's run to Jesus.